Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 well. Good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning. I mean, the sun is shining in Hamilton, Ohio, and in greater Cincinnati, Ohio, today. Man, oh man, is there a lot happening. Good morning and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by our good friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 hey. to 12. Hey. A, lot of, a lot of bouncing to step today, despite some of the guys around here being up very, very late last night on Chatterbox Reds. More on that in a moment. You can find us every day on YouTube. That's a Chatterbox Sports page. You can also join us live on Twitter. There's no Casey again today. Are you getting a little more settled in today? I'm not quite sure yet about today, Reed, after a stellar performance yesterday. So Sophomore slump. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have, Tom. Listen, it's uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the cameras aren't working like they should be working, but uh, everything's, everything's going to be all right. So we're going to figure it out as we go along. We're trying to get the, the sound into your headset. Yes, we'll it get... would be very difficult for our guests to come on today if I can't hear what the heck they're saying. Yeah, that would be very tough. And Paul was supposed to be here already. Um, don't want to spoil anything, but we'll, we'll check to see if everything's plugged in over there real quick. All right, okay. Tom? All right. We'll do your show. Uh, baseball dominates the headlines this morning. And how about your Cincinnati Reds? I'm going to make sure we, we – I know I have everything plugged in. Come on in over here. <laughs> All right. I'm going to slide over here. It's a big league operation we're running. But how about the Reds, right? The moves just keep on coming. First, a pair of pitchers, and then late last night, early this morning, they inked free agent switch inning infielder Jamer Candelario to a three-year deal worth $45 million. On three free agents already this season, the Reds have spent close to $88 million. Now, you tell me, are they all in? Starting to look that way, boys and girls. Candelario can play third. He can play first. He could DH. Last season between the Nationals and the Cubbies, I'm on a little delay, but that's okay. We'll fix that. Uh, he hit 251 with 22 home runs, 39 doubles, 70 runs batted in, OPS up over 800. Now, this means more than likely a couple of things. First, solid bat switch hitter, and he's basically a wash from each side. And he's got some thunder in the bat, and everybody acquires a little more thunder in the bat when they play at GABP. He's another infielder, yes. So this means for sure that Spencer Steer is now an outfielder. You got to believe it also sets up a big trade for a starting pitcher. The Reds have a ton of infielders, and not everybody can play. I know some out there are saying, well, the depth and all this. Look, when you've gone out and spent on two relievers, on an everyday player, big money, one of the top ten free agents arguably available on the market this year in Candelario, you're in. You're trying to win right now. The Reds are looking around in the National League Central, and they're saying, why not us? There's not a team in the division. That right now, today, and we have a long way to go before spring training and opening day, there is not a team in the division today that is better than the Cincinnati Reds. So what's up next for general manager Nick Crawl? Stay 
tuned. The biggest blockbuster of the day without question, the deal between the Yankees and the Padres. New York acquires slugger Juan Soto and outfielder Trent Grisham for five prospects. That comes on the heels of the Yankees trading for another left-handed bat yesterday, Alex Verdugo from Boston. Both players are free agents at the end of the year, but the Yankees are certainly expected to sign the 25-year-old Soto to a long-term deal. After winning the National League pennant, the Diamondbacks are trying to get even better, and they are. They land left-handed starter Eduardo Rodriguez, four years, $80 million. Rodriguez opted out of three years remaining on his deal with Detroit, where last season he went 13-9 and with a sparkling 3.3 ERA. And hey, again, a lot of time between now and opening day. But Arizona might have the best rotation in all of baseball next year. And that is a tough division to compete. Former Reds number one pick Nick Senzel has a new home. Signed a one-year deal with the Washington Nationals for $2 bucks. Could make another million in incentives. He's expected to say, you know, basically the same role he had with the Reds. Utility guy. Play everywhere, whenever you need him. After Monday night's thriller in Jacksonville, Bengals back at it on a short week today as they prepare for one of the hottest, highest-scoring teams in the NFL on Sunday, the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, about a month and a half ago, had lost three in a row. They've now ripped off four straight wins. Now, granted, some of the worst teams in football, Carolina, New England, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, but winning is the name of the game, and it's all that matters, and Indy is winning. Kickoff at Paycor comes your way at 1 o'clock. This Sunday, remember the Colts are one game ahead of Cincinnati in the final wild card spot. Longtime Indianapolis talk show host and former Indiana basketball star Dan Dockage. For those of you not old enough to remember, in the NCAA tournament, Dan Dockage was assigned to guard Michael Jordan in the NCAA tournament. Held him under 20 points in the game, and Indiana shocked the Tar Heels. He'll join us at 11.15 to talk about the Colts and about the new UC quarterback who transferred from Indiana. Week 14 begins tonight. Bengal fans certainly have their pom-poms out tonight. New England traveling to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers and backup quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. College Hoops crosstown shootout right around the corner. Unbeaten Cincinnati will try to beat Xavier at the Centos Center for the first time in 22 Years. Exes dropped three straight home games, two against heavy underdogs, Oakland and Delaware. But the Muskies have been highly competitive against Powers, Purdue, and Houston. Tip-off at Centos Center Saturday at 6.30. Big league, Paul Fritzner. Big leaguer. He'll join us in a matter of moments to talk about the X-Men and what's going on down there. Last night, Ohio State beat Miami by 20 in Columbus and number eight Marquette after getting beat by Wisconsin they bounce back to destroy number 12, Texas, 86-65. Women's basketball, Iowa's Caitlin Clark became the 15th female ever to eclipse 3,000 points in a career. She scored 35 last night in the Hawkeyes' win over Iowa State. Furthermore, she becomes the first college player ever, male or female. How about these numbers? 3,000 points. 750 or more rebounds, 750 or more assists. That is, 
it's almost beyond belief that a player can do that in their career. Congratulations. And look, you can't wake up on December the 7th and not remember this day 82 years ago. 2,403 service members and civilians were killed in an unprovoked attack on the United States at Pearl Harbor. We thank, we honor, remember those today. And we also remember those who answered the call after that day to fight freedom and against fascism and against evil in this world. Salute to all of those who were there and some even with us now. I was with a number of them uh, on a plane last week. World War II veterans. Did you know? Here's a little known fact. Did you know that of the living veterans from World War II, there are more of them within a 90-mile radius of Cincinnati, Ohio, than any other area or region of the United States of America. And I was talking to three or four of them on a plane down to Dallas a couple of weeks ago. Unbelievable. The greatest generation. Is Big League Paul with us? He is not with us, Tom. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, when we set up our guests, we set them up, and we've told you this before. You know, we're trying to plan ahead and and set up guests, and we don't know what's going to happen in the sports world. And so we had asked Paul Fritzner to come on a few days ago to talk about the uh, shootout this weekend. We're having Terry Nelson on the show tomorrow, former UC great, now calls the games on radio. We'll hear from him tomorrow. Kyle Kasky will be in studio tomorrow to talk about the Bengalis v. Colts. But real quick before Big League Paul, you guys were up till after 1 in the morning last night on Red's Chatterbox. What are your thoughts, Trace Fowler, if any, on Jamer Condelario? It's for me, I don't 100% understand exactly where the Reds are going with this. I think maybe it's just simply a depth piece, but when you pay someone that much money, um, it's hard for me to consider that he's just going to be a guy that's going to float around between first and third base and play. Um, so I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I think that there's still moves that are going to get made. I, I, I do caution everybody in thinking that maybe they're going to trade one of these young guys to, to make room for Candelario. That I don't think is going to happen at all. If anything, you could convince me maybe they're, they're thinking that Marte um, Marte's a guy that perhaps as he progresses through his career might be better suited to play a corner outfield position. And if that's the case, then maybe this makes a little more sense. But ultimately, someone's going to have to go. Um, I think the... You know, the obvious answer that many people are going to point to is Jonathan India. And maybe that's not 100% true either, but they did get a major league bat. Um, and the one thing I'm not going to do is complain that they spent money and got players. Um, maybe you could argue they could have spent money in a better way. But again, then you kind of sound like you're the you're you're the uh, you're the really rich kid at the, at the candy store crying that they didn't get, you know, two hundred dollars worth of candy instead of one hundred and fifty. So. I'm at the point, Tom, where does this make me think that they are going to be uh, World Series champions? Of course it doesn't. Uh, does it make me think that they might have more moves in the tank? That's maybe the biggest indication of what I take away is that they've spent a lot of, and I say a lot, but they've spent some money early in this offseason. I don't think they're close to being done. Um, and I do, think, I do think inevitably by the end of this offseason they will get a top-of-the-line starter, a guy that you could say that has a chance or could be the opening day starter. Elliot, 
Yeah, there's a couple things. Number one, uh, to, to, to kind of piggyback off of what Trace just said, they have to have another move in the tank because otherwise this wouldn't really make a ton of sense, especially during Reds Fest, Nick Kroll said to everybody that Jonathan India, we've been working, we've been talking to him about playing first base. You're not going to get traded, Jonathan. But it seems like he almost certainly has to be traded now. Now we've, we, we're out of room unless – unless he moves to the outfield, which I think by all indication, he's not moving. So I, I, I'm very happy for the signing. I'm not, I've been asking for the Reds to spend money. So for me to come up here and say that, oh, I, they, they're spending money the wrong way, it's, it's, that's not what I'm going to come up here and say. Candelario is a damn good player. He would have been, I think, uh, they said last night on the Reds show, again, my mind's a little foggy, but I believe they said he would have been our second best player according to War. I know I, you can say what you want about War. Uh, I, I don't love the stat. But again, it's what baseball people use. I think, I think he's a great addition. Having so much depth in, in droves where you know you're going to be good no matter what, I don't think that's a, that's a good problem to have. So I'm happy with this signing. I'm very happy. Well, I mean, I hear you. And we're going to talk a lot about this uh, over the next hour. Uh, now, look, before we bring in Paul, I want to say something. I've noticed a couple people in the chat are saying, you're really not having Dan Dockich on today. Okay, look. You may not agree, I may not agree with Dan Dockich and some of his political views, okay? He's working for Outkick.com now after doing a radio show in Indy forever, okay? It is a very popular show. We're not getting into politics today. We're strictly talking about the Indianapolis Colts. We're talking about what he did against Michael Jordan in the NCAA tournament just for a minute or two and find out a little bit about the quarterback who just left Indiana to transfer to the University of Cincinnati. So just relax. Okay, relax. We don't have to turn everything into some big debate and cancel that guy and cancel this guy. Okay, this is an open forum show. All right? We've had straight men, white men, black men, gay men. We've had everything on this show. So just relax. Okay, please. All right, is Big League Paul ready to go? Okay. Big League Paul, there he is. Look at him. Now, look, before we go any further, Yesterday, you celebrated a birthday. How was your birthday and night? I hope it was a great one. How was it? It was great, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, just spent some time with the fam. It was good, and I uh, got that text from you. And that, hey, look, great birthday present. Have me on the show. It's great to be here. Uh, I thought you. I thought you were bringing me on to talk politics, though. That's what I'm, I prepared you know, on my notes. I, I don't do that with elitists like yourself, elitists like you and Dan Dockich and others. I, I don't go down that road. You know, I, I'm for the everyman and the, uh, coast to coast. We know that. Some of you are, some Fair. of you aren't. Now, look, uh, you know, we, we kid around about, we, we, we joke around. I was talking yesterday, Paul. I happened to be in the car um, the other night after the Xavier Delaware game. And I heard the post-game interview that Sean Miller does after every game with uh, Joe Sunderman and Byron Larkin. He was really, really upset. What were your takeaways from that interview? I I haven't heard many coaches in my life in any sport be as brutally honest as Sean was after that game that night. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is when when you look at what this Xavier team has right and what they can bring to the table and what they haven't brought to the table in the last three games I mean look there's only been three three game home losing streaks in the history of the Cintas Center right Xavier's never lost four in a row in the history of that building 
So there's a lot that's going at stake right now at this season. And the the you look at, at the Oakland game, right? And maybe you can pass that off as, oh, they were looking ahead to the Houston game. And then they come out and they play Houston. And uh, against Houston, they look just like they did against Purdue. They're playing tough. Uh, they're hanging with them. Xavier was leading by one with six and a half minutes to play. But then you come back against Delaware and you're thinking, okay, if you bring that effort and that intensity that you brought against Houston, you play Delaware, you win by 25. Now all of a sudden the shootout has even more juice than it had leading up to the week. But you go out and you just get punked by Delaware. And I know the, the frustrating part for Sean and this coaching staff is that they keep hammering home the same points every single day to these guys. And for some reason, I don't know why, it's just not getting through. Now you can sit here and say, yeah, they have 10 new guys. Six of them are freshmen. Three of them, English isn't even their first language. You only have one returning player. You built this team around two all Big East players that sustained season-ending injuries before the season even started. You can go down the laundry list of things and, and reasons why this season may have been over before it even started. But at the same time, you have players here on this team that have played well where they have played. They're just not playing together well right now. And it has to be frustrating where you you work on the same things. And if you, in that Delaware game especially, it was the same thing over yeah. and over and over that Delaware just kept getting. And it's the same deal with, with uh, uh, not Bryant, the, the game, the Oakland game. Oakland now, game, Trey yeah. Townsend comes in, he scores, he, he comes in, he scores 28. Trey Townsend does. It's career nights. And, and, and you know, Sean's one of those guys where it's like, are you going to come in here and just let the other team's best player have their career night and everybody's going to be looking forward to playing Xavier because they know they're going to have the best night of their career when you come in here and play them. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is right now. And until Xavier fixes it, they have a long way to go. I got to tell you, though, Paul, I, I mean, I, I, I know, you know, you said it um, and then sort of dismissed it. And, and the, but, but I think it does bear repeating. And look, you know, um, when you have so many new guys on your team, and you spend time with them in the summer, but you really don't know what you have until, as they like to say, you know, you're out there in the red light or the bright lights or whatever, come on, right? You really don't know. And, and I just thought, you know, you know, Reed brought it up yesterday that at the Big East um, coaches uh, preseason gathering in New York City, um, how Sean had said, you know, he, he was honest with everybody. He said, look, this team is not going to be the same team at the end of the year as it is the beginning of the year. Um, and, and so far, you know, we have seen this team take its lumps. What has to, if you had to say one or two things for sure, and look, you're right about the Delaware game. It was like a layup line in that game the other night when I was watching it anyway. It really was. And I'm not yeah. being critical of that. It was what it was. No, no, uh, no. It was. It was. Yeah. Got to call it like you see it, Tom. I mean, it, was. it was a layup line. And that's not the MO of Sean Miller teams. Um, I'm just curious. It, it, as they're getting ready to play Cincinnati, and we'll get to this game in a minute, but, but if you were to look at one or two things that win or lose on Saturday, Xavier did differently than they've done through the front nine. What would the one or two things be for a fan to watch that maybe don't watch Xavier, but they're going to watch the shootout? And, and, and to your point, as crazy as this is to say because it's a trademark of a Sean Miller team, they just can't get punked, Tom. They can't get punked on Saturday. They can't let, you know, Aziz Bandago, Victor Locken, Odio Guama, these guys down low who 
Xavier has struggled so much against in the post this year. It, it, to their credit, honestly, they didn't do a terrible job against Zach Eady. You look at the stat line, he had 28 and 12 yep. or whatever he had. But honestly, they, they didn't do a terrible job on him that night. That's just kind of how Zach Eady goes. The, the, the thing about Saturday is, and, and going forward even beyond Saturday, is you just can't get punked. And that's the most frustrating part for this coaching staff is that maybe Sean Miller's teams aren't always the most talented or maybe they don't have the most physical ability or whatever it might be. But they're never going to get out toughed. They're never yeah. going to get punked. And this year they are. And I know that that's, that's where you have to try and change that mindset. You try to have to change that mentality because right now it's, it's bad and I, I don't really know what the answer is. I don't know what the fix is. But, you know, you said a couple of things in there that I, I thought stuck out. You talk about, you know, over the summer and these guys building and, and what you're able to do before you get to the season. I mean, to a certain extent, though, Xavier signed the, the two European players, Lazar Djokovic and, and uh, Sasha Siani. Also, Gitas Namisha came a little bit earlier. But a couple of those guys signed just like three weeks before the season started. In fact, Sasha signed after the the real preseason workouts had started and that's where you know you go through june july august september you install a lot of those things during the few hours that you have together as a team through the week because you're only allowed to have a few hours together um you know with coaching and everything like that but by the time you get to preseason practice starting at the end of september and you're ramping up most of the basics and the concepts and everything have already been covered some of these guys weren't even there until yeah. that point and now you're playing catch up to the to to now where you're nine games into the season this is not a young season anymore you're a third of the way through the year a third of the way through the year now so i i i, I struggle to see on saturday where you know that that delaware game to me was a real punch in the gut for xavier's chances this year outside of yeah you, you take another loss that's the kind of loss that that keeps you out of the tournament because now xavier's totally fighting an uphill battle but that's the kind of loss that makes you wonder whether this team is going to finish over 500 this year because they didn't show any fight. They didn't show any resolve. And, and Quincy Oliveri, to his credit, he scored 34, and he yeah. talked about it after the game. He, he said, you know, we, Joe Daneman asked Quincy what was Sean's postgame message, and Sean basically said in the locker room, when the going got tough, you guys quit. And that just can't happen, you know, and, and, and that's where you're looking at Saturday and – you know, Tom, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that only one player in this game, on Xavier's side, that only one player in this game knows and appreciates what this game is. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it's probably a good thing that it's it's at Cintas from that perspective. Um, but, I mean, these guys don't really know what they're getting into on Saturday. And I guess to a certain extent... UC doesn't really either. Yeah. Victor Lockins played in it. John Newman's been around the game. CJ Frederick grew up around the game but hasn't played in it. So there's a little more appreciation and understanding. But it's this is not like, you know, a Jeremiah Davenport. This is not a, a Gary Clark. This is not, you know, one of the Lance Stevenson, JP McCura, Trayvon Blewett. This is not one of those. It, it it, it kind of has a different feeling this year because we don't really know what UC is since they haven't played anybody, but they look – they what UC has done outside of the Howard game is they've taken care of business. They've beaten everybody by the margins they should beat them by when they played them because you can play whatever schedule you're going to play, 
But if you're playing them close, it doesn't matter. They've blown everybody out except for Howard. So that's where you say, all right, UC's taking care of business. UC probably should win this game. Now it's a question of do they go into Cintas and, and snap the 22-year losing streak? We'll see. see, it's interesting you bring that up, the, both of those, th- those points uh, at the beginning there about, you know, really how many guys truly app- appreciate, not the word, maybe understand this robbery because I really believe it's so unique. And I, look, look, nobody uh, has been a part of uh, a, a, as big a rivalry as Wes Miller was in as a player at North Carolina and a coach at North Carolina. And he's been asked to make the comparison between the two. Look, when North Carolina and Duke play every year, they're both in a top 10, it seems like, top five, whatever. They play twice a year, not just once a year. They're in the same conference. They might play a third time in the, in the ACC tournament. But he said, you know, this one is a whole different animal. Um, uh, that there is a genuine dislike between the two schools that doesn't necessarily exist between the players at North Carolina and Duke. They spend a lot of time together in the summer socially. I don't know about so much of that with UC and Xavier players. I know they play against each other time to time, but I don't know about the social part of it. I don't care about it. Um, But it's interesting you bring up that not many have been a part of it on both sides that are going to be big parts of the game outside, really, of Locken. Um, and yet, you know, I can't, I, I, I can't get away from feeling like this is a huge mental obstacle for Cincinnati. And I think it's a huge – I want to think that. But then when you think that a lot of guys haven't played in the game, maybe I'm totally wrong on this. But there has to be something to be said. Because not every year, maybe not even most years, Cincinnati's come rolling into Centos with a better team or certainly as good a team. This year they look to be a better team, but they haven't been able to win since George Bush was a president. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing this year is it, it, Xavier is, is fighting for their lives right now. I, I, I hate using the term in a college basketball season. I hate using the term a must-win game in December. I hate it because – it's just there's so much of the season left in front of you. But if Xavier doesn't win this game, I mean, yeah, you play Winthrop next week, but then it's into Big East play, and, and basically you're just going to have to run the table in the Big East and hope that you maybe make it to the Big East final or whatever it might be to have any hope at the NCAA tournament. And again, we don't really know what this UC team is going to end up being through the Big 12 because they don't really have any wins that they can point to right now on their resume that matter in the non-conference, no top 100 wins that really put this team in a, in a position to be like necessarily a good win. But what it would be is Xavier showing something. And I, I, again, the biggest question to me is when both of these teams take the floor, there will be more players on the Cincinnati side that understand and appreciate what this game is, you know, b- between Skillings, Locken, Newman, Frederick, you know, th- they have more experience on that team that knows what that game is going to be than Xavier, who only has one player. Now, granted, Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle, Cam Kraft, they're all on the bench, but they're not playing in this game. It's only Des Claude. And if if one of these teams comes out and, and doesn't bend to the atmosphere, at least it's at home if you're Xavier, but whichever team is going to handle this game just from a pressure standpoint and understand and appreciate what this is, but again, maybe maybe these teams don't care, and maybe the Xavier players, it doesn't that doesn't affect them, and they just treat it, the atmosphere at least, like the Houston game, which was an incredible atmosphere, and you just you just roll with the momentum, and you hope that um, 
you can contain Bandago and and uh, Bandago, Bandago, Bandago. I keep getting that wrong. White um, tomato, and lock tomato. Two and then and yeah, and then you just roll from there. But uh, it it is it is a weird it's a weird year because I, I'm not sure either team is a tournament team. UC looks more like a tournament team right now than Xavier does. But I I don't know I, I don't know because we haven't seen UC play on a road like this yet this year granted yep. the howard game i guess yep. it was a true road game but it, it wasn't the crosstown shootout i i don't i don't really know i i, I think if you told me in any three if, if between the four things right between a, a close xavier win a close cincinnati win a blowout uc win and a blowout xavier win i think the only one that would shock me would be a blowout xavier win yeah i, I yeah. just don't see a way that this team right now could pull away from Cincinnati by, say, 10 or 15 points. I just don't see that happening. If you told me that this game came right down to the wire, home court advantage, Xavier eked it out by three, I wouldn't be surprised. Cincinnati wins by 15 because they just punked Xavier down low and hit some shots. Wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. UC pulls one out because they were the tougher team down the stretch, just like Xavier's shown they haven't been the tougher team in the last three games. So be it. That's how it goes. I, you know, the... But but how they respond to the atmosphere, both of these sides in an in, inexperienced group, that's going to be the biggest tell. All right, last thing, and I got to tell you, I am very uncomfortable. As you know, I always refer to you as Big League Paul. That's what I call you all sure. the time, right? BLP, Big League Paul. Since you left here, there are others sitting in this room, Right? that have given you the nickname oh, no. Quitter Paul. I, I am not comfortable with that terminology. That you would never use know. that name, would you, Tom? You I would never call me that. Will not do it. <laughs> will not do it. Uh, and if I've I slipped up that. from time to time, I apologize. I, Elliot, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> why aren't you comfortable? I don't understand. What do you mean, why? Elliot's just been it, sitting over. Elliot, you've been sitting over there stewing this whole interview, just waiting to get some takes off. What are your thoughts on this game, Elliot? You've just been sitting over there, steam coming out of your ears for the last 15 minutes. No, I, I've, been, I've been hard at work trying to run these graphics on the screen, Tom. I, I, or Paul, excuse me, sorry. They've been very insulting. Big so disrespectful. They have not you mean it with no love and no respect. That's no right. love and no respect. I, I got your back, Paulie. I got your back, Big League Paul. Go it's, ahead, Elliot. Right, Go ahead. Such slander. Well, I, listen, I think the addition of um, tennis superstar Novak Djokovic to your squad, I think he's been okay. But I, I just think the team doesn't look very good, if I'm going to be completely honest. I love Des Claude. I love him. I think Quincy Alivari, again, great game he had. I just don't think it's going to be enough to beat Aziz and the boys. I think you see this is our year. We're going to win this game. We haven't won this game in 75 years. We're going to win it on Saturday. I'm going to watch you cry. You're going to be throwing little foam balls <laughs> up to God knows whoever's in the stands. I'm Are you there? To- Are you going? I'm going to try to go to that game. I'm going to try to go to the game, and I'm going to try to sit in that one section that you were, you were scared of injuring yourself. There was a lot of risk, you said. I'm going to try to go up in that section. I think that's – is that Miller's box? I don't know whose box that is, but I'm going to go up there. I'm going to find it, and you're going to have to throw me a foam ball. Does he sit in Sean Miller's box? No, but he throws those foam – Well, I know he throws the foam, but I thought you were insinuating that, that he hangs that, around with that crowd. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, yeah, that, all right, I misunderstood. It, it, that box gets rented out every game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That box gets rented out. So you're going to go up there and sneak into that box? Yeah, I think I can. I, I think I look like a Xavier Musketeer fan. I'll go up there and, 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 we'll, and we'll try to cause some chaos up there. 
By the way, Paul, so what, what do you, you go, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Please continue. Paul, uh, what was what was your pregame message to that guy who hit the half court shot? Because that was all you. A lot of people I on said, X.com are saying that was you who inspired Yeah, that's right. Him. I said this built. I said, this building needs some juice, Alan. Can you please give us some life in this building? And wow. he kind of wow. looked at me, and he was like, man, this guy uh, this guy might be a little weird. And he looked at me, and he just kind of <laughs> gave me that look like, why is this guy talking to me like this? And I said, you know what? All right. He's just got – and you know what? He just – he didn't even do anything. He just stepped right into it, flung it in there. I've had one person hit it every year. Could be you on Saturday, Elliot. What well, did they give be, away? Could we debated to Paul. Do Paul, we debated what did, what, what did he win for that? So we do we do a few. So you can putt for uh, you can do like that full court putt thing, where, you know, where you, you putt it and you try to like make it through the little cardboard okay. hole from one side of the court to the other. That one's five grand. The half court shots five hundred dollars. Wow, I know. So it's, it's I've been pushing for a bigger the... prize for years. Okay, all right. Well, you can get Centos or somebody like that. Uh, the farmer family, whatever, step yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got one more question yeah. for him if that's okay, Tom. Please, I know it's your show. It's by a very all means. Show. Uh, Paul, you know, I, I, I listened to the post-game interviews. I watched the entire game, by the way, uh, against Delaware State University. And listen, Xavier fought their day. <laughs> it's not Delaware State. It's the University of the Delaware. Delaware. Your good friend the Joe Blue Biden Hens. is there. Delaware, right. Delaware Tech. When they, when they lost to Delaware Tech, the post-game press conference, I was listening to it, Paul, and they said they were leaderless. They were leaderless. Now, I take this information – and, I, and I'm going to try to find somebody that could be a leader and that might be out of a job. And I'm looking at the Cincinnati Reds. Right now, we have our leader that's out of a job, and that's Jonathan India. Is there a chance Jonathan India could come to the Xavier Musketeers, maybe run point? Here's what I will say to you right now, Elliot. If Jonathan India has any interest in coming to the Crosstown Shootout on Saturday, he will be my personal VIP guest, and I will ensure that he gives the most motivating yes absolutely thrilling and inspiring speech to the Xavier Musketeers that anybody has ever delivered. That would be good. Do we want David, to make a David West, David oh, West, David Two West. Holloway, Kenny Freeze, any of them, they might be giving speeches. I don't know. Yeah. But Jonathan Indy, I know what he's going to bring to the table. So, yes, right. Elliot, the invitation is all his if he's watching this show right now. Thanks. Do you want to make a friendly wager? Do you want to make a friendly wager if you see wins, if Xavier wins? Something happens? I'd be happy to. How about what would UDF what? is our sponsor? How about like a uh, like an ice cream sundae or a malt? An ice cream sundae or a malt. So I have to buy him an ice cream sundae? Yeah, or he would have to buy you one. Okay. Elliot yeah. wanted more I, pain than that. Yeah, that right, was well, go, more, ahead. What, go ahead. What do you, you think? want more pain? Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I um okay. You can stew on it, and it, you can stew on it, and I can and and uh, you can do no, it on tomorrow's show, and I'll. No, I'd in. really like to do it right now and take more of your time up. So uh, let me think about it real quick. Hold on. Let me yeah. let me try to. Uh, I got okay. one. I got one. You ready? Does you it involve have... getting wet? No, nobody's getting wet anytime <laughs> soon. Calm down, Paul. Okay. I'll, here's what we do. I will wear a Xavier Musketeer outfit, oh. some sort of Xavier sweatsuit or what have you, on the show. If that happens, you have to record a one-minute video. I won't make you do it for the Sean Miller podcast because that's a very professional program. I understand how that works. I won't make you do it there. So you have to wear a full UC garb. That's a UC jersey, and I don't care what you wear for pants. Just wear some pants, though. Uh, a UC jersey, and you have to post a one-minute video saying you lost to me, or a 30-second video on your Twitter. Are you, are you going to get me the jersey? No, you have to buy your own jersey. That's part of the fun. 
I'm not. I'm not spending that money. Okay, then I'll buy I you the write, jersey. Uh, I'll buy I, you the jersey. Can I write it on there? Can I write it on? Can I write it on a piece of paper? Sure, sure. That's fine. There That's we go. That's a good bet. That's God a good bet. love you, Elliot. God, God love right. you, Paul. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We got we got action now, right here. I mean, what would this show be without Elliot making a bet or somebody that's, making that's a right. bet? That's right. Paul, we thank you for your time. I would have felt like this was an empty appearance. That's exactly Absolutely, right. Absolutely, Tom. Anytime. Big League Paul, thanks for your time, buddy. Belated again. Happy birthday and uh, big time game thank on you, Saturday. Man. You'll be there. Everybody, everybody will see Big League Paul right there. That's right. It'll be a look. If nothing else, if nothing else, it is my favorite game of the year every year it's a great time to be around the city it's it's an exciting game um who knows what's going to happen honest to god i have no idea what's going to happen in this one it feels like a weird year it feels like i don't know what i don't know what's i don't know what these teams are so roll the ball out there see what happens tom and let's have some fun all righty paulie thanks my man have a great rest of your day see you guys As we mentioned, tomorrow, uh, Big League Paul's trying to help the program, even when he's not on it anymore. He comes on. Uh, he he might, might be, and I don't want to hold him to this because I don't at all. I don't know where. I don't know how I lost Byron Larkin's phone number, but I did. Uh, and um, he's going to see uh, uh, Byron later today. Paul is. We know we have Terry Nelson on the program tomorrow. Those are two guys who played in these games, right? Big-time games when they played in them. I mean, monster games. That's right. Top teams in the country games. Cincinnati number one in the nation games. Stuff like that. So, um, it'll be interesting to get their perspective. I, I, you know, I love both those guys as, just as guys. I, I've spent a lot more time around Terry Nelson because I was broadcasting the UC games when he was there and came in with Nick Van Exel and, and uh, Corey Blunt uh, and that whole crew uh, as junior college players. Uh, back under Huggy Bear in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And, uh, but but they both, they're both really good guys on the court and off the court. By the way, I saw where Terry Nelson's son, I guess, is a big-time recruited football player uh, out at Anderson High School who is got he? to the state Final Four this year. So we may ask him about that. Um, okay, fellas, let's get back to the Reds. We're going to talk to Dan Dockage coming up. Um, and, you know, I, I, I said earlier on, and I just want to say, and I, I put it in the, uh, in the uh, chat, for, for that one guy, and that's what he goes by, uh, I want to say thank you, and I appreciate your opinion and your input on this stuff. If you guys don't like people that we have on or you don't want to, you, you don't want to watch certain people we have on for whatever reason, we appreciate hearing it. This is an open book, this show. It's an open book. You're not getting that in most other places, I can promise you that. We actually listen and pay attention and appreciate your input. And I may not agree with it. I might agree with it. But we're having Dan Dockage on the program. All right. Uh, back to the Reds for a minute. Uh, you know, Trace, you said something. Reed, I want to get your opinion on this. I, gotta th- I mean, look, you come at it from a little bit different perspective. You are a baseball guy. You mm-hmm. and Trace and, and Elliot are all really hardcore baseball guys. You were a college baseball player. Trace was. So, I mean, you guys love baseball. But you're a cubby guy. And I'm saying this not tongue-in-cheek, not as a bit. I mean, if you're the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Brewers or the Pirates to a lesser extent, you got to be sitting there looking at the Reds going, ooh, they're trying to make something happen here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Tom. Listen, uh, Candelario, he's, he's, a, he's a veteran bat, and, and, and on top of the signings, it's becoming incredibly abundantly clear 
that the Reds are trying to not only compete next year, but really make a run at this thing. And as for the signing of Candelario himself, you know, it, it's funny. Your dad came on yesterday and he talked about the switch hitting infielder and it registered a couple hours later. It was like, well, there's only one guy that fits that bill. Actually, last week when we were talking about who else the Reds can sign, I didn't have the chance to propose the question to the room. I was like, well, what about Candelario? And that's a name that I, I know was linked to the Reds for yeah. a while, but no one took – all incredibly serious because of how crowded the infield room is. But at the end of the day, that's a veteran bat. In, in, in a lineup where there's a lot of uncertainty, in a lineup where there's there's not a, a lot of established um, hitters, you now got someone who's played in the major leagues and, and been a successful hitter for, for nearly half a decade. Obviously, he played in Chicago last year, came up with the Chicago Cubs, um, hitting a very hard ballpark to hit in up in Detroit, and that's why the home run numbers might not be there. But who's to say that uh, Candelario can't hit 30 home runs at Great American Ballpark? I mean, that's certainly something he hasn't done before, but – he certainly could at this yep. at this field. Now, as for I, I saw some projected lineups on on the Red Show, and I know that came from a website where he's batting cleanup. I don't think he's a true cleanup hitter. But at the end of the day, like listen, this is this is a good signing for the Reds. I don't think it's really that much money for a, a veteran piece in, in Candelario. And at the end of the day, the, the team's better today than they were before we went to bed last night. No doubt. And, and, you know, here's the thing, and here's the reason why, and I guess, Trace, I'd like to hear your response to this because you brought it up a minute ago about you don't think that this is narrow, necessarily setting the table for now a deal. Here's the thing. The Reds have a, obviously a lot of, I'm not telling you anything you don't know here, okay? They have a lot of young players that they very much believe in, guys who had really good rookie years, and we'll see. The sophomore slump is a very real thing. And I'm not suggesting that's going to happen to this core of Reds players. But look, right now with Candelario in, and he's, you're paying him 15 million bucks a year, he's going to play third base. He might move over to first for a game here or there. You move guys around, day off for this guy. You have versatility and so forth. Steer could come in for a day. De La Cruz could go over to third. McLean goes from second to short if India's not here. Whatever. Okay, that's fine. But, but, but here's the thing. Okay, not everybody, A, is going to make it of all your prospects. We talked about this yesterday. There are very few, no matter how highly rated they are, how highly rated they are, that turn into legitimate, everyday, productive players. You've just given Candelario a three-year contract. In the infield right now, you have India, McLean, De La Cruz, Encarnacion Strand, Candelario. You have five. Then you add Marte, who came up last year. They have Arroyo. They have these other guys in the minor leagues, okay? You've just given Candelario a three-year contract. That is a guaranteed deal. This isn't football, where if he stinks, you cut him loose and you owe him very little, okay? You're paying him $45 million for the next three years. You've already moved one of those infielders, theoretically, more than likely, practically, to left field in steer, okay? You're not going to start moving other guys. De La Cruz would be the only guy you'd consider it, and if they haven't done it before now, in other words, asked him to start taking fly balls in center field, they're probably not going to do it. That's the track record of the Reds. India, they've approached about moving around, okay? Fine. But here's the thing. 
You can say, yes, stockpile all the prospects you want, okay? But if you are truly all in on trying to win a World Series, I am so tired of hearing about, well, we're going to be good for seven or eight or nine years. There is no guarantee of that, nor is there a guarantee you would win a World Series by trading some young players. But there's only so many positions on the field where guys can play. Do you believe long-term in Arroyo? Do you believe long-term in Marte? Do you believe long-term in India? Do you believe long-term in McLean? Do you believe long-term in De La Cruz? You can't play them all. The reason you build up a farm system is not to say, we're going to be great for the next seven or eight or nine years, because that ain't the way it works. It really isn't. It's not the way it works. Now, you can have a solid core of two or three come up every two or three years that you believe are going to be regular guys. You can't have six or seven you think are going to be regular guys because there's no room for them. You are going to have to trade if you truly want to win. You are going to have to trade some prospects And the old adage about you can't get something if you don't give up something. Now, some of these reports about what the White Sox might be asking for for Dylan Cease, I completely understand if the Reds wouldn't do it. But they cannot go into this season with the starting rotation they have right now, which is there a lot of upside? Yes, there is. There's a lot of upside for Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, Andrew Abbott, Brandon Williamson, Martinez, if he's a starter, upside for all. Outside of Williamson, as we've talked about on this program before, every one of them will be on an innings limit this year. Every single one of them. And when you ask David Bell and you ask Nick Crawl that question, they're not going to answer it. They overextended Abbott this year, and I didn't disagree with it, neither did Abbott. But the second they started to overextend him, what happened? I mean, the wheels fell off for Andrew Abbott. Lodolo basically missed the entire year. His innings limit is going to be way down here compared to the others. Because he didn't pitch at all. Basically after five, six, seven starts. Hunter Green was on the injured list for two and a half months last year. Graham Ashcraft twice was on the injured list last year. Williamson's the only guy that they didn't put on the shelf. Martinez has never pitched more than 120 innings in a year. So, listen. You have to, if you're true, and the Reds can still be good for the long haul. They can still be good, really good. But you have to trade somebody to get somebody if you really want to win. Trace your reaction to that. You're preaching a little bit to the choir here. The only pushback you're going to get from the folks that obviously are are diehard prospect um, people is going to be that the very reason is which why you wouldn't give up many of those guys, if any of them at all, is because they're not guaranteed. So you want depth. You want to have two or three middle infielders that you believe could be a guy So you do get at least one of those right. And you don't want to get yourself in a position where you trade. And again, this is where 
you know, it's risk reward. And that's all this ever comes down to is what's the risk and what's the reward. And if the front office of this Cincinnati Reds club feels like they're in a position where the reward is going to be greater than the risk, then they're going to do the deal. Um, and that's, that's the part of this where, you know, I don't fully kind of grasp the concept of always feeling like you got to hold on to every single one of these guys because at the end of it all, there is only nine spots out there at one time that can play. And yes, I do love the idea of making sure that you don't trade uh, three guys like Christian Carnacion Strand, Spencer Steer, and what ended up getting to be Will Benson for Tyler Malley. I understand that's that's part of it, right? You don't want to be on that side of the deal. Um, but there's also the opposite side of the deal where these guys are young prospects and the chances of them becoming a contributor to a major league ball club, if we're being honest, is not is not that high right it's really not that high now there are going to be some top top level prospects that we could argue that it is very high but when you when you inevitably rattle off a list of 10 to 12 guys you can go through the list of prospects right now that the reds have and you can go through the top 20 out of the top 20 guys i mean maybe six of them become contributors to a reds ball club that you could actually know who they are and that's pitchers and, and players and, and that's pitchers and position players so you know it all comes down to one thing and I keep saying this and I truly believe this and I don't know and I know for a fact you're not going to get a real answer out of Nick Crawl and or um, David Bell I guess if you wanted to ask him is do they actually believe they're ready do they behind closed doors think that Good this question. team can win whatever it, it doesn't need to be a world series maybe that's a hard ask to say, hey, do you think this team can win a World Series? But let's just keep it at a division level. Do they think they can win the NL Central with who they're going to run out there on an everyday basis? And are they willing to risk two years of control for a Dylan Cease when they know they're going to have to give up some guys that might burn their ass in 25 and 26? And I know that it's hard for Reds fans, it's certainly hard for me at times, to sit here and look at a franchise that hasn't done really anything for you for 20 years and ask okay, longer than that. Well, I'm just saying in general. Okay, I'm willing to I'm willing to kind of bite the bullet here, so we don't go get a Dylan Cease who can maybe win us an NL Central for the for the realization that hey, I want six years of team control for Chase Petty. So when in 2025 runs around, we have him to 2030. You you kind of lose me a little bit at yes. times in that, right? I agree. It, it got it's got to be somewhere in the middle of all that. And I do want to give Nick Crawl the benefit of the doubt and say, listen, he's, he's in the stockpiling of a farm system era of his general manager, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, his time with the Reds. I don't know what they're ultimately going to do, Tom, but I will say that they've spent money in the inclination that it feels like in the next year, two years that they feel like they can win. I agree. Because why would you go get some of these guys if, if that's the case? Now, they also went out and signed Mike Miner, which also was a, a Nick Crawl uh, deal that didn't make a whole lot of sense then, and it still doesn't make any sense. So there's times where, hey, let's, you know, for all the folks that just want to have blind faith in the front office, they, they, they did sign Mike Miner. Well, one thing that I think, yeah, uh, before, before Tom gets to his point, one thing that I... I I don't know if, if Red fans, you have thought of it like this, but 
you always talk about getting free agents and, you know, you don't have the same resources that the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, yada, yada, yada. You don't have the same resources there. Yeah, that's true. But also when these trades can be made, no one in Major League Baseball has better resources to go out and get these trades, to get the Dylan Ceases, Shane Beavers, Tyler Glasnows of the world than the Cincinnati Reds. Like they are very rich in that department. And if you want to make your team immediately better, that's what you have to do. Well, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, Tracy, I'm with you, and I'm with you, Reed, all the way on this. I just, when I, from the outside in, and I have no connections whatsoever to the franchise at all anymore. None. I mean, N-U-N, none. I, when I'm just looking at what they're doing, they're, they're doing things that really improve areas of the team that make you a significantly stronger club in different areas. The whole bullpen thing last year, we've talked about this from time to time. When the year started, the bullpen looked dreadful. And then all of a sudden, those guys got it rolling, man, and they were really good. But with any bullpen, you know, outside of the, the elite closers, let's say, for the, the Billy, and I'm talking the Billy Wagners, not the Alexis Diaz's of the world. Because Diaz completely collapsed down the stretch because the poor guy was tired. He was overused. They potentially, should they add a, start, a, a legitimate starting pitcher to this group, and by the grace of God, the younger guys in the rotation stay healthy, what you can do with that bullpen of moving Pagan and moving Martinez, and you've got Diaz, and you've got Ian Jabot, coming back and you've got you know a, a, the mole kid pitched very well after he came here I mean he was a solid left-hander out of this bullpen along with some other names they have that we talked about him the other day I mean you know Lucas Sims he'll make you crazy man but there are games he looks great there are other games he's just stuff's blowing up everywhere and he can't find a strike zone TJ Antone I wouldn't count on him it's been too long for this poor kid every time it looks like he's coming back but maybe you catch the lightning in a bottle but unlike past years, they're not counting on the lightning in a bottle. If all of a sudden Antone shows up and he's throwing the ball through a brick wall like he used to with unbelievable stuff, I will say that of all of the young pitchers, Hunter Green included, Graham Ashcraft included, of all of the young pitchers that I have seen come up with the Cincinnati Reds since Johnny Cueto, this guy had the best stuff, Antone, of any guy I saw him bring up. He was throwing 97, 98 miles an hour when he came back from Tommy John. His off-speed stuff was through the roof. He was virtually unhittable. And then all of a sudden, it's been three years now of injuries. Two years, two and a half, whatever it is. But, you know, okay, so now another piece uh, with Candelario. Critical piece. Like Reed said, this could be a 30-home run guy for the Reds. Why wouldn't it be? He hit 22 last year. Most of the year in Washington, which is one of the biggest ballparks on the planet. And then he went to Wrigley. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you don't like what they're doing. I'm amazed by some of the stuff on social media where people are just killing them for making these moves. You can't have it both ways, Elliot. You can't. You can't have it both ways. You can't kill ownership for not spending money and not doing this and not doing that. And then when they do go out and spend money, you hammer the deals. Yeah, You can I, have an opinion on the deals, but you can't kill the team and say they're not trying. Right? Yeah. I, I, again, 
I'm, I'm number one on the list of the Reds should spend money. The Reds need to spend money. That's how you win. Now, it's great to have the young, the young core. That's a, that's a major part of it, too. But you have to spend money. The Reds are trying to make moves. You don't know what the next move is going to be. Nick Kroll is doing his job right now, and he's doing it effectively. You don't know what he's going to do next. I imagine they made this deal because they know something is coming. So if that's the case, and even if it's not the case, again, you still have a, a, an infield full of good players. Trey said it last night. There's a chance, and again, I don't, I don't think this will happen, but there's a chance it does where some of these guys come up or came up, the, some of the guys that came up last year are going to regress. I don't think that happens. I don't think Spencer Steer regresses. I don't think, well, Ellie can't regress, respectfully. But again, you don't know fully what you have with everybody yet. Yet. So it's not bad to add another guy and add, add a veteran, like Reed said. So this is, this, is, this is a good move. It's $15 million. I'm not going to sit here and act like this is a lot of money for an average MLB team, maybe for the Oakland Athletics and the Pittsburgh Pirates, but for a good MLB franchise – $15 million for a veteran bat who is capable, coming off a damn good season, is a respectable contract. Oh, there's no doubt about it. There, there were some that were thinking he'd get up to $70 million on a four-year deal. I mean, yeah. And I, he got three years at 45. I think it's a fair deal. I, I think it's a fair deal. They're, they're, the major issue is who you're going to trade next, and you do have to trade somebody. I do agree with Tom. You have to move some of, the, some of these guys. Uh, whether it's a Royal, whether it's India, somebody does have to go because we will be out of room uh, at some point, which again, a good problem to have. Uh, David Brown brings up a great point. He says, hey, look, if spending money is the answer, why don't the Yankees always finish ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays? It, 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 look, uh, it, David, it's a great question. Great question. If you're talking about getting to the playoffs, the Rays in recent years have done a better job of that. They have a better farm system. The Yankees, and this has been true really since they won the three straight World Series in the late 1980s and early uh, 1990s and early 2000s. The Yankees don't bring up young players anymore like they used to. The last truly great Yankee teams, okay, when Gene Michael was a general manager, Cashman was coming in, Torrey's the manager. The last great, 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 great Yankee teams, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit. The list goes on at Jorge Posada. Those were all homegrown guys. The spots are few and far between now that the Yankees have any homegrown players in their everyday lineup. Yeah, it happens from time to time, and they'll have some in their starting rotation. But basically, their farm system is set up to trade for the big-name, big-time guy like they did yesterday in Juan Soto. They're taking five guys that they're saying, we ain't got time in a market like New York to wait around on a bunch of young guys. We're shipping them all out of town, and here comes Juan Soto. We shipped a couple of other guys out of town. Here comes Alex Verdugo, the day before from Boston. We, uh, we, we go out and we pay for Stanton. We go out and we pay for Aaron Judge. So... Endless supply of cash, as Reed brought up a little while ago. They can cover up mistakes, what Texas did this year. They, as the year went on, they covered up, because they have the money, they covered up bad decisions in the offseason, i.e. DeGrom. They go get Jordan Montgomery. 
They go get a couple of other guys. Get her all to Chapman in the bullpen. I mean, yeah, they, they got all kinds of, they can cover it up. The Reds can't. So, no, spending money doesn't guarantee you of success. It certainly helps your chances. And the numbers don't lie. The numbers do not lie. You'll have these Cinderella stories, like the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. But what happens ultimately? They run into a team that's spending $190, $200 million on payroll in the World Series, and the big money team is winning the World Series. But the Reds can contend. And once you get there, you just never know, as we saw with Arizona this year. All right, we got Dan Dockage coming up here in a matter of uh, about 10 or 15 minutes. Let's get to some ad reads. Uh, we still have to talk about the Bengals over the last half hour of the show. And we'll really begin that in our conversation with Dan Dockage to talk about the Colts. He follows the team regularly. Talk a little bit about the quarterback that UC signed yesterday who left Indiana with a new head coach there uh, to join the UC Bearcats. Got to believe he's coming here to play. It'd be hard to believe that he would be transferring here to compete for a job because UC ain't getting any of the big, big guys out there, right? The, the, the Dylan Gabriels or the Cam Wards or any of those guys. So uh, all that and more to come. Bengals this weekend, a big one. And uh, what's her name from Cincinnati.com who covers the Bengals? Conway? Conway. Conway. Kelly Conway. She wrote a great Kelsey. article today in Cincinnati.com. I give it up to her. Kelsey Conway, that's her name. She wrote a great article and kept it believe me for simple minds okay because when you start throwing a bunch of numbers and hypotheticals in there my eyes start spinning I can't stay with it long enough she wrote a great story today on how the Bengals can get to the playoffs and she gave you some percentages and really broke it down in terms of okay in their last five if their record is three and two this would have to happen. And basically, at three and two, there's zero chance. But what was fascinating is, is if they go four and one, who could they lose to that would hurt them the least? Guess who that is? Minnesota, because they're in the NFC. So, you know, I, I, I don't uh, plug a bunch of uh, people uh, regularly, but when they do good work, I certainly am open to that. And Kelsey Conway, well done. I would highly recommend anybody read it in the Enquirer, Cincinnati.com. All right, are we ready, young man? Yes, we are. You're on your game. No sophomore slump. You, you went through the first two or three games without a hit, and now you've gone like nine for your last 17. We'll, we'll see how the, the Dan Dockich interview goes. Well, and, uh, and in fairness to you, because you said it beforehand, this isn't, you know, this isn't saying it after the fact. Right. There's always a little tricky stuff from time to time when we have somebody on who's never been on before. Correct. In terms of technology and all this kind of stuff. So... We're keeping our fingers crossed. But I have faith in you, Reed. Thank you, Tom. You're Thank welcome. you, Tom. Take it away. All right. Uh, Trace is actually going to do the ad reads. i got to fix something over at the main desk real quick as he, as he does that. Happy to do it. Uh, Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to, to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Nice job, Elliot. Visit Encore.tech. That is, visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And, obviously, as always, we have Pawnee Water. Um, 
Pony Water, by the way, uh, is getting into more and more convenience stores. So if you're looking for it, it's not the easiest thing to find per se at the big box stores, as we all know. Won't give any free ads, but we know what those big box stores are. Um, but they are in a lot of convenience stores. They are in a lot of uh, kind of like the um, convenient gas stations per se. We will, uh, I think they're in 240 plus gas stations throughout the tri-state area. So I just wanted to say something as well here. Listen, I, I, I know that I'm one that always screams and yells about understanding that, you know, you can't sit here and just say you need to go get this guy, this guy, this guy, and it's going to fix all your problems. Inevitably, the best way for the Reds to be able to win and win consistently is going to be able to have homegrown talent, a la maybe kind of like, well, the Cubs did have him, but they got rid of him. They sent him to the White Sox. But like a White Sox situation where you have Dylan Cease, you have team control, and you have a really, really good arm. The thing is, is like that doesn't really come around all that often, does it? Uh, when was the last time, I guess you could say Castillo, when was the last time you felt like the Reds had, like uh, I don't know, a, a, a betting odds favorite a Cy Young candidate each and every single year? Um, I guess Castillo maybe is the only guy that comes to my mind. I know that we had, obviously, Homer Bailey. We had high hopes for him. You could I don't know what it ultimately that's not Dylan Cease. Um, Hunter Green, hopefully he ends up getting to a position where he is a guy that we would be able to say, hey, he had a Dylan Cease type career. I guess my only pushback sometimes to this whole, yeah, let's not. It's like, okay, we were begging for a top of the line starter that had some team control that wasn't going to cost a significant amount of money. And then now we don't want to give up a guy like, again, we don't want to give up a guy like Rhett Louder. And I get if you want to add in Petty, maybe you can convince me that's a little too much. But and or Petty, when in, when in reality it was never a guarantee at the last trade deadline, we were even going to have Rhett Louder. Oh, by the way, we have the number two pick next year who will also get added into this whole list of prospects that we're going to obviously hold near and dear to our heart. My point to all of this is saying, just don't be on one side of the aisle and, and not be able to just have a little bit of understanding of what the other side at least considers and thinks. You know, you can't sit here and act like there's no reason in the world that they couldn't give up some guys that, that might burn a little bit and not be able to probably facilitate or fulfill those holes down the line. And yeah, I guess you could tell me if Chase Petty ends up being Justin Verlander, then that was a huge mistake, obviously. But I will tell you, that if you believe in this group of kids, which is what they are, and I don't know if they do, that's my main point. If they did believe in that, and we believe that this team could go win the NL Central, and then the following year, you can make the case that those kids are ready to go and compete for World Series, having Dylan Cease is something in which this Reds franchise is not just going to stumble upon through one of these prospects coming up. I don't believe, at least. So I just want to say one last thing here. The Cincinnati Reds 2015 top prospects, okay? Number one, Jesse Winker. Number two, Robert Stevenson. If it was Robert Stevenson right now, everybody would be screaming and yelling about how we couldn't give up Robert Stevenson for a guy that struck 200-plus guys out three straight years, has been a part of the Cy Young conversation for three straight years, has team control for two more years, and cost $8 million. That's what some people would be doing right now. And you're telling me, oh, what about what, what, Ross Ellie Glacius, Michael Lorenzen, Alex Blandino, 
These are the top five guys, by the way, that I just named. Those are the top five guys. Six, Anthony DiSclefani. Seven, Nick Howard. Eight, Amir Garrett. Nine, Nick Treviso. Ten, Aristides Aquino. That's the top ten guys. Now, you can make the case that 2015, this front office was different, and those guys aren't nowhere near the same as the guys that we have now. That's the point in case that you can make, and I understand that. I'm just saying that as a Reds fan base, I would like for us not to always be cutthroat on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. It's like one side of the aisle, they want to trade whoever the hell it takes to get anybody, and the other side of the aisle, we can't give anybody away. Yeah. So that's all. And I mean, hey, you fan however you want to fan. I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I, maybe, I'll have, maybe I'll have buyer's remorse in 2026, but if you're telling me I can have Dylan Cease on my team for two years – and maybe help bolster a, a, a starting rotation that doesn't have a – they don't have an ace in my book. They don't have an ace. Now, if you want to kill me for saying it, they don't have one. Not a single one of them has had shown what is the best ability, availability. Not a single one of them shown that. Not a single one. What has Dylan Cease done for three straight years? I don't know, throwing 165, 170, and 185 innings. Started 32, 35, 36 games. Now, if he comes over to the Reds and gets hurt, I guess you'll kill me because, oh, uh, how are you supposed to see that? If we can all see injuries, we'd have traded Lodolo last year and got a King's ransom for him. Anyway. Well, you know, the, the one thing they all have in common, and look, we have the ability of time to look back on the careers of all those guys you just gave the names for. And, and you so aptly pointed out that this Reds farm system today is considered to be vastly better than the farm system of 2015. But what, what the guys of today and the guys then all do have in common is that they were highly thought of, can't miss guys. Everybody thought Robert Stevenson was a can't miss guy. Everybody did. I, I mean, I wish I had a nickel for everybody who told me what a great on-base percentage OPS guy that Winker was and what he was going to do in the big leagues when he got to Great American Ballpark. Where are those people now? They're flooding you with stats about some guy at single-A Dayton. And, the, and look, the, the, the list of guys you just named, okay, there are there – are, greater and lesser extent of their careers and success in baseball. I think, look, it would, be, it would be a win if you had guys come up and give you what Amir Garrett gave you. It would be a win. He was a solid left-handed reliever for this team for three or four years. I mean, I'm not saying he was great, but he was pretty damn good for about a three- or four-year run. Okay, Rysel Iglesias has had an outstanding career. I mean, he's had a great career. When you, when you put it into the context of guys that are brought to the big leagues, the thousands upon tens of thousands, Rysel Iglesias has had a great major league career, by far the best of anybody on that list. What you also have on that group is you have guys, because the Reds were so bad leading up to those years before 10, 14, or 13, 15, 12, 13, is you have a lot of guys who were top 10, top five picks in the country. Nick Howard out of Virginia, right? The, the, the Reds drafted him as a reliever and wanted to make him a starter. 
He's never sniffed the big leagues. Nick Travieso, number one pick, top 10 pick in the country, in the draft, injured, never put it together. It's not his fault. So what all of those guys have, and Anthony DiSclefani has had a decent big league career. He's had a couple of seasons where he's been even far better than decent. I never liked him, but a lot of people liked him. But, so when you look at that list, okay, you're going to have the same kind of thing happen to the current stable of players moving forward. All right, is Dan Dockett ready to go? Give us a second here, Tom. We'll give you a second here, and we'll make sure we're all set up for that. Um, But but you you just cannot count on what's going to happen from some of these guys, and nobody has the proverbial crystal ball to say. And Nick Kroll knows all about this. Yeah, you might trade Edwin Arroyo, and he might go on to be the next Adrian Beltre. But you know what? When you traded him, you didn't know it. And you can't get beat down for not having a crystal ball. Okay? I mean, yeah, your legacy might be like it is DeWitt, where he referred to Frank Robinson as an old 30. When the Reds dealt him the ball away, he was an old 30, all right. It got old for dudes facing him for about the next nine, ten years because he was truly one of the greatest offensive stars in the history of baseball history you talk to the old school guys they'll tell you hey guys talk about Mantle and they talk about Mays and they talk about Aaron and they talk about Frank Robinson is every bit of that conversation just go check the numbers over 600 bombs better hitter from an average standpoint than a lot of those guys this guy man what a player and a toughness that you just don't see in a lot of guys so I remember John Sherholt said to me years ago, back when the days when the Braves had, uh, and he was a general manager, when they had Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, they were their front three starters. And there was a run there, and a lot of you are going to be too young to remember these names, but Kent Merker, kid out of Columbus, Ohio, later became a reliever, had a really nice career, but he was a starter when he came up with Atlanta. They had another guy named Jason Schmidt, hard-throwing, big, tall, you know, just bulky dude. Uh, he, he was another guy in that mix for the number five starter. Okay? And John Sterholt said to me one time, he said, if nothing else, you better make sure you know your organization better than other people know your organization. Because they would use that number five guy who would be a big-time prospect coming up every third or fourth year. Merker, Jason Schmidt, there were a couple of others. They would deal that guy every other, every third year, every second year. He'd have a really good year as a number five spot. Bam, gone. Merker traded. Schmidt, really good year. Bam, gone. Becomes a Cy Young Award winner with the Giants. Okay. Meanwhile, the Braves are winning World Series. They're going to the playoffs every single year. Because they're using those pieces to make deals to win and yet they have the core guys for them, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. And then they had a core of position players, same kind of thing, where they brought all these guys up, the Chipper Jones of the world. They pluck a free agent here in Freddie McGriff, pluck a free agent there in Terry Pendleton, and then all of a sudden you are rolling. 
And they've got it going again the exact same way in Atlanta. Is he good? Yeah, we're going to try this. We're going to try this. I tell you what, I've known this guy for a long, 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 long time. Going all the way back to my youth, youth. Because he was around back then. Dan Dockich, the pride of Indiana. How are you, young man? Yeah. Yeah, Indiana's got a lot more to be proud of than I. I can't even figure out how to put a thing on my green screen behind me as I'm <laughs> down here in Florida. So, I'm, Tom, it's good to talk to you, man. Hope everything's good. Everything's really good. I hope everything's great with you too, Dan. You look great. You sound great. You're without kick.com now and people can find you there. What you're doing a show on a daily basis. And I had brought up earlier, I said, you know, I don't want anybody getting all worked up about, you know, politics and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> We're here talking about sports and that kind of thing. But what Fox, I guess, bought outkick.com, right? From Trey Cla- uh, Clay Travis a few years ago. Yeah, Fox News bought it. And one of the reasons... Uh, that I left ESPN was because ESPN didn't really like guys like me having a say other than balls and strikes, or in my case, fouls and three-point shots. And tell you what, I met with Clay, and man, you could say a lot of stuff. And they developed a show for me. And you know what? It's kind of fun, Tom. I'm hoping to have you on. I'd like to have you on tomorrow. In fact, my producers got all excited when I said you wanted to come on because baseball's rolling, trades are happening, and Anyway, we'll work that out later, but I know you got a big one. Uh, Bengals and Colts, baby. Oh, man. I mean, you know, Dan, tell me about the Colts. Uh, you know, uh, I thought they bring in a new head coach. They draft Anthony Richardson. They decide to start him at the beginning of the year. So it looks like, okay, we're going to start building this thing from the ground up, a lot like Houston with C.J. Stroud, et cetera, et cetera. Richardson goes down, and, you know, the team loses three in a row with Minshew in there, initially speaking. We'll get to what they're doing now. But but when all of that happened, did did the fan base get, get really down on the team or were they down on some of the things they did with Jonathan Taylor? You know, all of that with Ursay and so forth. Yeah. No, they did. Look, Indianapolis over the last few years has uh, – well, Tom, you know this. It's, it's a basketball state. It's a basketball town. And – they support the hell out of the Colts. In fact, I did talk radio for 14 years, and it was initially it was going to be, you know, talk Indiana basketball, talk Colts, and then everything else didn't matter. Well, it became talk Colts, some Indiana basketball, and nothing else. And, you know, last few years, Colts haven't been good. And then you go this year, Taylor holds out. That's a problem because Taylor's a pretty good guy. Uh, Shaq Leonard, he's not playing well, and he's one of the most popular guys. He's got a new quarterback everybody got excited about. He gets hurt. And then you're looking at Minshew, and Minshew is is the kind – here's what Minshew is, Tom, and you'll you'll totally understand this. Eventually, backups show you why they're backups. Yep. Right? Eventually. They'll play well, and then they'll be a backup. So – but now, all of a sudden, um, the defense has been really good. The defensive front, which they've got a lot of draft capital in, has been dominant at times during games, and Minshew is holding on to the ball. Um, And that's big. If Minshew can't hold on to the ball, I don't care whether they're playing the Bengals or the 72 Dolphins, Colts are going to lose. It doesn't matter. But he's been holding on to the ball a little bit. He's not turned it over. He's not throwing it away. So they're a better football team. But, Tom, there's no doubt, man, there's no doubt middle of the season or middle early of the season when they went through their struggles based on everything that was happening. No question the fan base was grumbling and grumbling loud. 
Minshew, I agree with you a thousand percent that that backups will show you sooner or later that they are backups for a reason. But I really thought it was a shrewd move by the Colts to bring this guy in. I mean, the quarterback, you know, the situation there has just been an unmitigated mess. Back when Reich was there and all the different guys, he tried to bring in Matt Ryan, blah, blah, blah. Um, But look, you know, a lot of people around here, uh, at least up until last Monday night, Wish the Bengals had brought in a guy like Garner Minshew uh, to be the backup in case something happened to your starter. So, you know, look, he may prove why he's a backup, but, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, since he's taken over as a starter, I mean, you mentioned some of the things he's done. They're also one of the highest scoring teams in a league over the last month. Well, they were at one point the only team to score over 20 points in every game, and I think that stopped maybe it was against the Patriots. But no, to your point, the two things that Colts have done – in the offseason, Chris Ballard did that were really smart. One was bring in Minshew because, you know what, you know, as you get a running quarterback, particularly a guy with, you know, no fear, like a young Anthony Richardson who's going to try to run people over, you know, at least in our city, we saw it with Andrew Luck, you're going to get hurt. So you better bring in a decent backup. And frankly, they made a great move bringing in Minshew. They, they did because, you know what, he's been solid. He's well-liked. Again, he turns it over, and that's a problem. But they do score touchdowns. They He is fearless. I'll give him that. He is totally fearless. The other thing the Colts did, and this may sound silly, is they brought in a hell of a kicker in Matt Gay. They paid Matt Gay more than any other kicker in the history of the league. And this guy won him a game with 450-plus yard field goals, first time in NFL history to beat the Red Hot Ravens. Now, the Ravens weren't hot at the time, and the Colts beat him in Baltimore. But those two things, you know, it's like this, Tom. And again, I, you know, you know this as well as anybody. You, you never think about the kicker until you need a damn kicker. That's and when right. you need a damn kicker, it's with 10 seconds to go and you better make the kick or everybody's going to go home pissed off. So those two moves have been really good. And the other one last year, they brought in Zach Moss. They traded Naheem Hines, who unfortunately got hurt with the Bills. But they brought in Zach Moss, and you know what? When Taylor was out to start the season, Moss was getting over 100 yards of carry, and it seems like a great dude. Um, still don't have enough weapons outside, although Alec Pierce uh, got behind the defense a couple times. Pittman's a nice possession receiver. A little bit, little bit limited uh, at the tight end position. But, boy, that defense, and there's an esprit de corps. This Shane Steichen has done a really good job, really good job of – being an adult, like, you know, when, when Reich was there, players would be late. He was such a nice guy. Players took advantage of it. Not anymore, and not from the first day Steichen was there. He's been the adult in the room. He's been a tough guy, and he straightened out a lot of nonsense that was that infested the Colts. And you've seen it. This is a fun team, and they're right in the middle of the playoffs, and I don't think many expected them to be there. Well, it's a huge game for the Bengals. Every game is going to be a huge game for the Bengals and for the Colts moving forward trying to get into the postseason. I want to ask you about a couple other things, um, and, and I don't know the answer to this question, so I don't want to throw you on a spot. Are you watching much Indiana football and Indiana University of Indiana football, Indiana University football? And if so, what can you tell us about Brendan Soresby? He transfers from Indiana to the University of Cincinnati as a quarterback. You know what? Soresby was not supposed to be the quarterback. Um, remember Jackson, Trace Jackson Davis, yep, the yep, basketball yep. player? His brother, Travion, was supposed to be the quarterback. He transferred from Tennessee, came in, and I have some pretty good friends in and around the program, and everybody from the get-go was impressed with Soresby. Everybody said, wait a second, this guy's tough. This guy's a fighter. He played on a horrible team. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is, 
the offensive line, which is the one thing that Indiana has had over the years, was awful. They couldn't run the ball, even though they had a pretty good running back, a kid named Lucas, who was like a freshman All-American. They couldn't run the ball. Uh, the defense was pure. It was just a bad thing going on. But Soresby was kind of the bright spot. And everybody around that program told me, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but the first thing the new coach did, Signetti, was try to get Soresby to stay. They feel like he's a Big Ten quarterback. Um, he beat out a kid named Bazelak, who's now at Bowling Green, who was the SEC uh, freshman of the year at Missouri. He transferred to Indiana. Soresby beat him out. And Soresby, hey, look, <laughs> oh, I put, I, I, I'm not saying he's a bad arm. I'm not saying he's a great arm. I'm not saying he's a bad runner. He's, he's, he does all those things. But to a man, everybody, and I know the people that have been in and around that program for years and are very honest about it, honest to God, Tom, They'll tell you first thing, this kid's a fighter. If you put people around him, this kid's the kind of kid that isn't going to be afraid late in the game. But Indiana was so bad in, in such a tough league that he never really got the chance to show that. But I think you're going to be happy with the kid. I really do in Cincinnati. Well, I got to believe, and I could be totally wrong on this, with a new coach though coming into Indiana from James Madison where they have a, a quarterback that just entered the transfer portal yeah. who was very good for him. I mean, it seems like you play connect the dots. want to shift gears uh, just for a minute. To, uh, to two things, one about your career in basketball and the man you played for, Bobby Knight. Uh, I got a chance to get to know him relatively well, nothing like you did. Um, he has not been doing well for quite some time. He finally passed just within the last month, month and a half. Um, you know, at the end of the day, controversial figure, no doubt. I think every kid needs to be coached a little more like Bob Knight than a lot of the guys we see today. That's my own personal opinion. What did he mean to you, though, as a coach and as a man? You know, um, we had a falling out when I was at ESPN. He, he did some things. I love playing for him. Let me back up. Let me go positive first. He, I love playing for him. Tom, I, I loved it. I'll tell you why. He was fair. Like, a lot of guys get eight guys, and those are my eight guys. Coach Knight said, hey, man, if you're on our team, you're going to get an opportunity. You just bust your ass in practice. Now, if you don't, you're never going to play. And he was always fair, and I always respected it. I always respected the fact that if you did what he asked you to do, you were going to get a chance. So many coaches are not like that. I always respected the fact, and I always thought it was funny. People would say, well, he treats everybody the same like crap. No, 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 no. Tom, my first game was against Miami of Ohio. I'm a freshman. We win by 20. And we come in. We had two All-Americans, Randy Whitman and Ted Kitchell. And we come in the locker room. And I'm like, oh, this is great, man. We, we won by 20. I got in the game, scored five points. It was awesome. And uh, he's ripping on Ted and Randy. And Ted must have had 25. Randy probably had 20, whatever. <laughs> But he did it because he knew that a couple of the other guys were first time as starters and they couldn't handle it. And I really learned that. I learned like, man, you don't treat everybody the same. You treat them how you can treat them to make them better. Some guys, like, you couldn't be nice to me or else I'd take advantage of it. So you had to kick me in the backside. I knew that. My dad knew that. Knight knew that. So I became a bit of a whipping boy as a player. And a lot of guys did because that's – but a lot of guys didn't. I always respected that. I loved working for him. Um because kind of the same thing. Now, my last couple of years there, he didn't want to recruit, and we had a ton of falling outs over different players that he just wouldn't go see. And But you know what? It was basketball. It wasn't nonsense. There wasn't 
I don't know. So many coaches in college, they're they're at the bar by five o'clock right after practice. Or they're at the golf course if the weather's nice. We would sit in a room, Tom. He and I at 10 o'clock every morning would go. He would come in. I'd get there around 7, 730. He'd get in around 10. I tried to get all my stuff done because I knew what was happening. We were going to go down this film room, sit in this little room. He had a TV, a chair, I had a cot, whatever. And we'd watch film till two, go to lunch and go to practice and then do it after practice till about seven or eight. And he was dedicated to his players. He was dedicated to his team. And he's not that com- Everybody says he's so complicated. He wasn't that complicated. He was just a guy that that's what he wanted. He, he wanted to hunt. He wanted to fish. Uh, he wanted to win basketball games. And he wanted to be left alone in a lot of ways. But, you know, and then later on, he and I had a falling out. And I felt kind of bad about it. And so I asked, uh, my doctor's his doctor, Dr. Rink in Bloomington. I said, hey, if I go by Coach's house and see him, is he going to be a jackass to me? And he goes, Dan, he he won't even know who you are. So that was really sad to me, Tom, because, as you know, he had an unbelievable mind, like Mm -hmm. a great, great mind. And I wished, you know, like John Wooden lived in his little apartment after his wife died, and coaches from all across the world would come and spend the afternoon with him and take notes and – you know, I always wish that for Coach Knight. I always wish that, you know, his, his mind didn't go away because it was such a great mind, so smart, uh, so logical, um, so easy to fix a problem. And now you could cause a problem too. And, and, you know, everything was difficult with Coach. I mean, going to lunch was a pain in the ass. Where are we going? Why are we going there? What are we doing? You know, that kind of stuff. But – Regardless of our differences, I I, uh, I would have loved to have my son play there. I'd love to have my grandfather play, or my grandkids. I don't have any, but if I ever do, play for them. My brother, my hell, I'd like to have my sister play for them. But uh, yeah, I just I, I hate the mention. I hate what 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 happened to that great brain of his. Last thing I want to ask you, and for a lot of our audience out there, it's hard to believe, Danny. I mean, uh, time continues to pass, and you've been asked about this, I mean, a billion times. But I remember it like it happened yesterday because, you know, my parents went to the University of North Carolina. Uh, I was always a huge North Carolina basketball fan. Uh, Michael Jordan comes up. Uh, hits the game-winning shot in the national championship game to beat Georgetown. That was as a freshman. Two years later, they're 28-2. and two. They're playing you in Indiana. Uh, I think it was a Sweet 16 game. Everybody believes that Carolina uh, is the best team in the country. They got All-Americans and Jordan and Sam Perkins and Kenny Smith. And, and tell the story. I, you know, not only tell the story, but the bottom line was you shut down, by and large, <laughs> Michael Jordan in that game. I know you're going to be humble about it and laugh about it, but it's a fact. And anybody who knows basketball and follow basketball, you were the guy that night that did it to the guy who's considered to be the greatest player of all time. But, you know, I, I'm kind of curious, is, is, there, is there something as you look back on, and, the, and literally the millions of times you've been asked about it, is there, any, is there anything about that that anyone has never asked you about or that you've thought about or been reminded of through the years? You know, Tom... I didn't even think about this until Coach Knight passed. And um, somebody asked me about playing against Jordan, and we beat him, and I got a lot of credit. Billy Packer was great on the broadcast. But somebody said, what's a memory of him coaching? And I thought about it, and I I, I don't even think I ever talked. Uh, This may be the second time I've ever told this story, but 
when we were getting ready to play them, Tom, we had just beaten, we were supposed to play Barkley, uh, Barkley and Chuck Person at Auburn, and they got beat by Richmond. And Richmond had a guy named uh, Johnny Newman who played in the NBA for like 15 years. He was really good. And we beat yep. Richmond, and we beat him on a Saturday. And it was Saturday afternoon, and we flew back. And Tom, Coach Knight would do this. He always tried to figure out ways to give you time off. So what he would do was, if you got back, let's say we got back to the Assembly Hall at 6 o'clock, you know, at night. Maybe the game was at noon. I remember it was an afternoon game. I remember we got home fairly early. So, okay, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow, Sunday, at 7 o'clock at night. So you're off all day, the rest of the night, Sunday, and then 7 o'clock Sunday you're having a meeting. And I'll never forget this, Tom, but I had forgotten it. Um, we're all sitting there in, in the locker room. And I know you've been in Indiana's old locker room. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of packed in there. And coach comes in. And he says, all right, give me every effing manager, every trainer, every assistant coach, get in this locker room right now. And, you know, we're sitting there going, okay. He goes, I'm just telling you right now. And it was very profane-laced, which I personally liked. I'm telling everybody in this effing room that if any one of you mother blank, blah, 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 don't think we're going to go and kick those pussies of North Carolina's Pussy ass. I'll never forget he said it that way, Tom. He goes, we're going to beat their blankety ass, blah, 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 blah. And if any of you don't think so, get your ass out of this locker room <laughs> right now and don't come back. And he walked out of the meeting. And I remember looking at Alford and these guys going, oh, man, we're going to kick their ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like he was so adamant. And then we practiced, like, I always told high school coaches and college coaches when they would ask, like, well, I bet Coach Knight kills you. I go, no, but to beat North Carolina, we didn't practice more than 20 minutes a day. Like, I honestly believe, Tom, the only time in my entire life as a player, as a coach, that I'm not going to say the game was won on that Sunday night when he did that before a Thursday game. But we sure to hell believe we were going to beat Michael Jordan's ass. As stupid as that sounds, Tom, as dumb as that sounds, like in basketball, we're going to beat Michael Jordan's ass. That that Sunday night 10-minute talk told us that was what was going to happen. And I'm really – I've forgotten about that for years. But that's a true story, and that's, that's how it got set up. Wow. That's an unbelievable story. Danny, we thank you for your time today, my friend. All the best. Thanks so much for being with us today. I know you've been busy all day long. Thank you again. Tom, I want to have you on tomorrow. I'm going to send you a text. Thank okay, you. Okay, buddy. All right. My pleasure. Dan Dockich, yes. former Indiana great, and uh, we appreciate having him on. Um, I mean, uh, th that story about Bobby Knight. I know you love that stuff right there, Reed Mouse. Uh, yes, I do, Tom. Yes, I do. Wouldn't you love to have been in that locker room when Mike came in and said that? Man, th those are the kinds of stories that, 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 that they can talk about, you know, World Series, and they can talk about Super Bowls, and, and there are parts of meetings that maybe lead to a World Series or lead a coach in, in a locker room or a player to say something that leads to a Super Bowl or helps it or motivates or whatever. But, man, when you hear stories about Bobby Knight and walking in and looking around and saying, okay, we are going to take it to North Carolina. And if you don't believe it, hit the road. Hit the road right now. 
And then to not even practice that hard. The, the, the party left out was Knight comes up to him and says, I don't know if it was that Sunday. I don't know if it was after the game on Saturday against Richmond he talked about. might have been Monday. Uh, but Knight basically walks up to him and says, here's the deal. At Indiana, they only played man-to-man. They did not play zone at Indiana. There was no team that was going to play zone under Bobby Knight. You were playing man-to-man. And there wasn't a player in the country that could guard Michael Jordan. And there were a lot that tried. And he comes up to Dan Dockage. Right? This 6'4", you know, thick, not the most athletic dude in the world. Be like one of the last guys maybe on the planet that you would say, look him in the eye, and Knight looks him in the eye, and he says, if he beats us on fadeaway jump shots, so be it. If he can make the fadeaway, and Jordan, of course, did that his whole career, college and pro. How many times have we seen that fadeaway? He said, if he beats us with jump shots and beats us with dunks, he says, you will never play again at Indiana. Could you imagine somebody saying to you, if you don't stop Michael Jordan, your D.U.N. done? <laughs> I'd have no chance, Tom. <laughs> oh, man. That's good stuff. All right. Uh, on the Bengals, he had a lot of interesting things to say there about the Colts. He clearly knows that team inside and out. I mean, talking about the kicker, talking about the backup running back, talking about Garner Minshew and how he has played, talking about their defense right now, which I found to be very interesting. I don't know... Because I mentioned in the monologue, I, you know, when you're playing New England and Carolina and Tampa Bay uh, during this four-game win streak, I don't know how much you can, 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 can really say how good or playing well against teams like that is your defense really good. Yeah, that's fair. I, 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 listen, we're going to play the Colts here. The Colts, I feel like, have given up a ton of points. I could be wrong on that. Uh, I've watched the Colts play several games, and it just seems like they, they can get torn apart. But if our defense also gets torn apart, it helps nobody out. So I, the Bengals' number one, and I've been looking at the injury report here I, for, from the Bengals. I don't know if um, it looks like Akeem Davis-Gaither, B.J. Hill, Sam Hubbard are all on the injury report. Game status says unspecified. I know it's early. But I don't know what would happen there if we lose three of our better guys on an already struggling defense. Gardner Menchu, like he said, Gardner, Gardner Menchu is pretty damn good. Uh, the turnover thing goes our way. The Bengals have gotten a ton of turnovers this year. It's why, and Reed, Reed said this over and over again, the turnovers mask a problem, just like you could argue Joe, Bar- Joe Burrow can mask the uh, issues with the play calling. Our, defenses, our, de- our defensive turnovers have masked the glaring issues with them as a whole. If you can force, if you can force the turnovers, you're, you're still going to put yourself in a good chance to win. No matter if you give him, up, if you give up 300 yards passing, but he throws two, two, three picks, you're still going to win this game. So if the defense can hold it together, pick off Gardner a couple times, we're going to be okay. I don't think, I don't think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think this is going to be a shootout, and hopefully Jake Browning can recreate what he did on Monday night. Well, you know, the, the, the defense, and we'll get to the offense in a minute because we, we started to go down this road yesterday and didn't spend a lot of time on, uh, on the Bengals because we're still, you know, they're not playing until Sunday afternoon. We got the shootout around here in town, the Reds, everything going on. Uh, but we'll spend the last 30 minutes uh, or so, or what, what do we have here, next uh, 20 minutes or so, talking about 
the Bengals. Do we have anything else, by the way, we got to get to today? Does anybody know? Uh, no, we do not, Tom. Okay. All right. So the Bengals' defense. I mean, let's really try and, and, and look at this for a second. And, Trace, I'm going to start here with you because you, you watch this. All of us watch this stuff. You know, if you look at one area of the defense, and I always like asking this question, fi- find me one solution. Doesn't mean it'll cure all the ills of this defense, okay? But it doesn't look like Cam Taylor-Britt is going to be back for a little while. Yeah. It's going to be a little while. So let's just assume for a second he's not playing this Sunday, and that's a safe assumption. What's one thing that the Bengals' defense needs to do better to start playing better for you? Well, I, I mean, m- more times than not, I, it, they, it seems as if it can go two ways, I, I guess, and I'm not trying to escape the question by any means, but I also think that you know some of the coverage situations of the, the areas of, of a whole that the coverage has – uh, might be a product of, of of the rush not being you know as as much as you'd like it to be, but the fact of the matter is, is you say that, and the reason I hesitate in even doing that is because guys like Hendrickson and guys like uh, Hubbard have had really really good years. If you want to look at it on a piece of paper, the linebackers are the thing that 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 probably stick out the most. And I don't you're not fixing it. I mean, you sign you just sign those guys. So. I don't, it's not like there's another person revolving in that door that's going to come in and play better. Um, I, I, I keep going back, and I get everyone wants to make a big deal about the fact that safeties aren't a big part of the defense, this, that, and the other, but you lose a guy like Jesse Bates and, and uh, Von Bell, and when the defensive coordinator and a guy that everybody wants to respect and act like you know he was the one that was, uh, that was a, a large part of their success and uh, – in uh, good old sweet Lou, as we call him, I, and he says it's going to be a dark day if those guys walk out the door. And and, and sure enough, so far it's a little bit's been somewhat of a dark day. And by the way, those guys walked out the door. So to answer your question, you just you can't give up big gashing plays like they have. It feels like it's 15 yard, 20 yard. The Texans was maybe the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. When I watched the Texans games, it's like. Ooh, you shouldn't have a rookie quarterback, and I don't care how good C.J. Stroud, look as comfortable as he looked in a football game on the road in a decent environment, by the way. It's not like Paycor Stadium is a, is a bad environment. It's well, not the like Bengals you, were rolling at that point now. They yeah, had put and, together and that a was winning a loud streak, and they were getting it going. What I'm getting at is it was not an easy environment to play in, and C.J. Stroud made it look like a walk in the park, and that shouldn't happen if you have a Super Bowl-caliber type of roster and team. So I don't know... Ultimately, if I answer your question specifically, but I guess I would point my fingers to the linebacking core, and they need to they need to find a way to either schematically fix it or cover better. You know, and Lou Anarumo talked about this, uh, where he has been really upset at times is poor tackling with this team, and we are in a state of football where. You're not allowed to hit as much as you used to hit. Now, there are some things you can do without hitting other people. There are things you can do and drills you can do to work on your tackling skills. And I think in the last game, the last two games, in fact, I think that against Pittsburgh and against uh, Jacksonville, they tackled better. When I look at, at, at this upcoming game, I think everybody felt like, and we even heard Troy Aikman talk about it during the broadcast, everybody thought with Travis Etienne, uh, and, and the Jacksonville run game, 
that their strategy was going to be run the ball against a woeful run defense. I think by seeing ATN only get 10 carries, I believe it was, in that game, that clearly he was not physically able to handle a normal workload. He came in with injured ribs. They don't want this guy getting you know, killed in week 13 uh, and being out for a number of weeks. So they only gave him the ball 10 times. Now, for the Colts, they're scoring a lot of points. Minshew is capable of throwing three interceptions. He's capable for throwing 400 yards. And we know as far as their run game is concerned, at least on paper, the Colts present a major challenge with Taylor and Moss. So, I mean, are, are you expecting Indianapolis to come in here and try and run the ball first to see if it works? Because really, Jacksonville never tried it because of ATN being hurt. I don't think the Rams tried it either, though, right? No, they didn't, right. So there's a couple. I, and again, maybe it's just inept play calling. I don't know what it was. He, ATN, though, I mean, he, even though he wasn't as effective running, he still had a couple catches if I'm pretty – he was pretty involved in the he passing. Was, he was. He was involved was. in the passing game. So he was out there. I don't know if that was uh, – I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can fully blame it on the injury. I don't think the Colts will run first. I think because even if you look at even if you look at that Jaguars game, when C.J. Beathard came in the game, he was still able to find whoever he wanted downfield. He was still able to sling the rock. Trevor Lawrence was pretty much able to find whoever he wanted. I think they're still going to they're going to go to the passing attack. They've got a couple good guys uh, in the wide receiving room: Michael Pittman, Josh Downs. There's a couple guys there that have been playing very good as of late. Former Bearcat Alec Pierce, shout out. Um, I, I I don't think they're going to really pound the rock. I, I mean, I, I, would, I would expect 12, 14 carries for Zach Moss, and I expect it to be a shootout between Gardner Minshew and Jake Browning. Well, to, to, to remind people now, Jonathan Taylor injured his thumb about uh, two, weeks, yeah, two, two, weeks weeks ago, two weeks ago, and he had surgery. The Colts have not ruled him out. Now, he hasn't practiced this week, um, but they have not officially ruled him out. He's only a handful of days away, if I'm not mistaken from thumb surgery uh, but they do have moss there's a chance taylor plays i mean with a thumb you know uh, you know you can say okay you got to hold the ball all those kinds of things uh, sometimes there, there's some guys that get out there and play there's some other guys that can't uh, and that's not a knock on the guys that can't but some guys are just able to get out there and go do it so that remains to be seen but moss was tearing it up even mm -hmm. before taylor came back yeah, Tom, you look at the strengths and the weaknesses of these two teams. Indianapolis Colts, despite not having their star running back for a lot of this season, still sit top 10 in the National Football League in rushing. And, and you want to look at what the Bengals have struggled at. Well, they sit right in the, the bottom third of, of rushing defense. In fact, out of uh, yards per game, you know where the Bengals rank uh, among the 32 NFL teams? Dead last, number 32. So, I mean, it's the points that, that Trace brought up. It's the points that uh, I think Elliot was alluding to, and that's just that the defense needs to step up. They need to play a little bit better. I do think, I, I, I will disagree with Elliot, I do think that running the ball is going to be a major part of the Indianapolis Colts game because it has been not just this year but in years past. And, yeah, Gardner Minshew is able to throw it around a little bit. He's certainly a capable backup quarterback, but they certainly want to dominate the, the line of scrimmage. They want to dominate um, – you know, the, the possession of the game, the flow of the game. And from what we've seen of the Cincinnati Bengals this year, and it's you can say this about a lot of football games and a lot of football teams, is whoever dominant has dominated the line of scrimmage has won the game. 
You know, the Bengals, they run the ball to, to a, a great degree against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They win the game. They, they run the ball very well against the Arizona Cardinals and against the San Francisco 49ers, and they win the game. The Houston Texans come into Paycor Stadium, and they have uh, their, their rookie quarter running back rush for 150 yards. They control the line of scrimmage. They won the game. And I know that, like I said, goes across all football games, all levels of football, but that's certainly going to be what the Indianapolis Colts are going to try and exploit in the Cincinnati defense this week. Can the, the defensive line step up or and kind of hide some of the injuries in the secondary? I, that's, that's, that's the big key. Yeah. Yeah, and for those that are saying, hey, it's a guaranteed done deal that, 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 that Jonathan Taylor is not playing, I'm just going to go by what the coach says, okay? They originally said he's going to be out three to five weeks after surgery on his thumb. He missed the game last week. When they asked head coach Shane Steichen yesterday, will he miss the game? And all he says was, we'll see. He didn't say he's out. So, is the likelihood of him being out? Yeah, probably pretty strong, right? But the coach did not say, when asked the question point blank, is this guy out? He said, we'll see. So, that's all we can go by is what the coach tells us. And we know how the whole, you know, sort of thing works, um, you know, with, with coach and coach speak and all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Bottom line is, the Colts come in hot. And the bottom line is, they're ahead of the Bengals in the wild card race. They're seven and five. Bengals are six and six. There are others in the wild card race ahead of the Bengals. But you worry about that game and the other games and what everybody else is doing. But clearly, you're rooting for Pittsburgh to get beat tonight. I don't know if New England can beat anybody. What right a terrible now, can game! They? What a terrible game this is. The over/under, by the way, on Bedford Sportsbook is thirty. 30 points. That's New England against the Steelers, for those of you wondering. And Kenny Pickett is out. Kenny Pickett is out. It's Mitch Trubisky versus Bailey Zappi. And, by the, and I believe uh, Ramondre Stevenson, the, the, the starting running back for New England, is also out. So it's Zeke Elliott taking, taking the reins. Uh, I think it, it is going to be the worst football game you will ever see tonight. Zeke Elliott will have 28 carries for 52 yards, <laughs> and it'll just be gross. I, no, to answer your question, Tom, no. I don't think they're beating anybody. Bailey Zappi looks terrible. Terrible. Mac Jones looks even worse. But I, can you look worse than the Steelers did last week? I mean, let's not forget here for a second. I mean, I'm with you all the way on New England. They, I mean, they, it's not even a debatable topic. But, I mean, I know Kyler Murray played last week, but Kyler Murray really didn't do a lot. He didn't kill him, but, you know, it was Connor on the ground. Right? Yeah. You know, tough sledding against the Steelers. But uh, Connor <laughs> ran for over 100 yards. He scored two touchdowns. Uh, clearly, they took it right to him. I, I would imagine that's what New England's going to do tonight is see if they can just run it and keep pounding away because other teams outside of the Bengals have tried it and had a pretty doggone level of good success running the ball against Pittsburgh. I think we're going to see that from an offensive standpoint. I mean, you just said the over-under. How much does New England really need to score to win the game? I mean, they scored, what, 10 points to Steelers last week against Arizona? Yeah. Listen, Tom, I don't know how much um, Patriots and Steelers football that you've watched this year, but both have very capable defenses. At least Patriots shows up at, at certain points of the game. Every single time I've watched these two teams play, um, it's been an ugly mess on both sides of the field. Like they, they drag their opponent down regardless of who they're playing, except for the few times that the Patriots have been blown out. 
but they, they drag their opponent down to play a, just a disgusting football game. We saw that with the, the Steelers and the Bengals just two weeks ago. Yep. I, <laughs> if you get 20 points tonight, you're certainly going to win. If you get 17 points, you're probably going to win, and you can go on down from there. So to, to answer your question, how many points do they need to score tonight, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. There's going to be uh, – if I had to put over-under on turnovers in this game, I'd put it a nice four and a half. I think there's going to be five turnovers <laughs> in this primetime yeah. game because it's going to be absolutely disgusting. The good news for the Steelers is they do have offensive weapons. They do have guys that are capable. George Pickens has been very good. Deontay Johnson, despite that one clip of him appearing to not want to play football when he didn't dive on the uh, fumble there – they still have guys that can play. Yes, Friar has been good. Najee Harris has stepped up the past several weeks. Yep. Warren, the backup running back who they thought was going to replace Najee Harris, has been good as well. Yep. So they have pieces. They just don't have the quarterback. They, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, again, was shoved and rushed out of Chicago as fast as they could. Uh, didn't work in Buffalo either. I Listen, I, this game is going to be disgusting. If the Patriots can win – if the Patriots, by the grace of God, can win this game, they will win it with three field goals and hopefully hold the Steelers to two field goals. If there was ever a game where there's not a touchdown, it's this one. Well, you know, look, you, you got the Steelers. We know the Bengals have already lost to them one time. They play them again this season in Pittsburgh. Uh, you have them and Cleveland both at seven and six. Browns catch a huge break this week. Because even though they're beat up and they're playing a backup quarterback themselves, a third or fourth – actually, their fourth quarterback this year. Deshaun Watson, you had uh, P.J. Walker, you had Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and then last week they start Joe Flacco. So, I mean, they're four down the totem pole. But if there's a time to play Jacksonville, now's the time. Why, of course? Because Trevor Lawrence is not playing. But, again, you got to hope that Jacksonville's defense can step up Play well. Blaine Gabbard is not a stiff. He's not great, but he's not a stiff. He's had his moments back when he had a chance with the 49ers. He'll be a guy that gets the ball in that game. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Um, it has been brought up in the chat, to get away from this for a minute now, that, Elliot, you had uh, a number of golf matches this summer, which we have aired on Chatterbox Sports. That's right. There have been some in the chat that wonder, now that we are turning our attention in ever so slight direction to basketball, that are you going to start facing off against the Reed Mouses, the Trace Fowlers, oh, the Sean Spurlocks of the world in one-on-one -on -one basketball to be aired here on Chatterbox Sports? I don't think that would be a very fruitful product. Listen, I think it would be funny. So if you would like to watch me play basketball, I, I will consider it. Trace threw out the idea of tennis, and I'm, again, I, I don't mean to brag, Tom. I don't know if you know how well you know your Cincinnati sports history, but I am an all-city tennis player uh, at Elder High School. So that was given to me by the city of Cincinnati. So we don't want to play you in tennis. The mayor gave you that yeah, one? Yeah, the mayor himself, mm. AFTAB. Well, it wasn't AFTAB at the time. It was uh, – Jerry Springer. It was – well, no, it wasn't Springer either. Jerry, Jerry. Uh, uh, yeah, Cranley. There we go. I found it. There you go. Nice guy, Cranley, nice guy. Very sure. Yeah. Nice, never met him. Yeah. Uh, I Listen, if they want to play me in tennis, I'll do it. If they want to play me in basketball, I'll do it, but you're going to win. I, I don't have chance. If you gave me nine years to be an NBA player, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know I can't play. How many points I, do you think it would take to score? 
Like if we played a, if we played a basketball game, let's say we played at fifteen, do you think that you could even score? Oh yeah, I'd score against me. I'd score. You really think you could score one basket? I'd score one basket. Everybody's gonna score one basket. Come no. on. No, he wouldn't score one basket. All right. If wow. we played make it take it, I think I think I think I could get to thirty points before he scored a basket. Wow. Yeah. Boy, that's coming out. The the one worry I have, Tom. There. The one worry I do have, Tom, is uh, if we played tennis. I was thinking to myself, you know, at some point you can only beat a man down so much. True. I don't really want to go and say, you know, I've never played tennis in my life. That's a fact. Never played tennis in my life. And if I were to have to, if I were to beat this man, who that's his claim to fame, is he's an all-city tennis player, and I walk out there for the first time grabbing a racket and win. That would be a that would be you could never come back from that. Disrespectful. You could never come back from that. It wouldn't happen though. It so, would be impossible. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of sport. That, that ain't happening. No, no, it's not happening. No, no, it's not. Well, that that basketball challenge sounds like something. Did we ever come up with a cherry on top today? We did. We have a couple of cherry we on top. We do. Yeah. All right. So, what do we got going on? All right, we've got a couple. Um, both have been. Uh, I'll just go to. I'll run the. There we go. We got right, here. Dimension. We go. Presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. We'll talk about programming notes here in a minute. What's coming on the show for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get this in over to me. Um, so we had a couple of um, uh, submissions. I asked uh, the chat. I said, hey, we need a cherry on top for today. We had a couple of submissions. The two that we're going to go for actually came from Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Um, Ooh, well, I didn't it. know, believe, I didn't know, watch the show. But thank you, Jerome Hunter Fan Club, for, for giving it out. The first one is a, is a very cute picture. It's a very astute uh elliot rearing oh look my at little god ellie. look at little elliot at find this cincinnati elder. oh what my a cute god fella. look at that damn look at them glasses those are man solid. he's the same well, no they're not the same now not the same now uh, but i mean look at him now the person that took that picture thought they were taking a picture of an esteemed scholar what they didn't realize is that they were taking a picture of an all-city tennis player that's exactly well he looks like one that's right but that's a big league picture Love that picture. All right. So let's go ahead and give it to the it. other cherry on top. Okay. Um, we've seen this one before. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> was that so those were the two cherry on tops thank you i love the question from jolly jolly on the picture of elliot he says is he <laughs> finishing up a 10 leg parlay sitting there in the hallowed halls of elder high school no not yet tom not yet i was only a mere 17 when that picture was taken as everybody knows the legal age to gamble is 21 and you need to bet responsibly if you have an issue call 1-800-GAMBLER how old were you when you when you've placed your first uh sports wager 21. All right, now the real answer. 21. All right. Are you trying to, are you trying to get me in trouble with the he law, Yes, he is. Uh, Blackmore wants to know, is that Little Elliot from Mr. Jabot's class? Uh, that's not Mr. Jabot's <laughs> class. No, that was Mr. Rogers' class, Gary Rogers. He is a golf icon in the city of Cincinnati. Yes, he is. Do you know him? I know that name, yes. You do that know golf him? golf name, yes. Okay, yes. how about that? Yes, yes. If we I gave do know Gary that Rogers nine years... Yeah. Could he win the Masters? Yes. Right. No doubt about it. All right. Fair and enough. so could I. Elliot, if I took you over to the gym right now, 
This isn't happening today. Oh brother. my god! I am Where in, khaki, I am in khaki pants. Goodbye. If we're doing it, I'm gonna I'm gonna take time to train. I'm I'll, <laughs> I, I I'm going to train. I'm going to train. You can't do you. No no no. You don't get to put this on me right now. I'm not gonna look like tomorrow. A you have, do you have tennis shoes you can show up with tomorrow? We're not doing it tomorrow. We're not doing it tomorrow. I, I, I'll i decide the date, and you'll hear back from my agent. I'm not going to come out there and look like a scrub and lose another video. Yeah, you got to get ready. I, yeah, I, I'm going to train. If you need me to make a, a rocky training montage, I'll do it. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not objecting to that, but I will, I, I'm going to need some time. Now, Trace, I'm a terrible basketball player. You've seen me play basketball um, a few times now. How many points do you think it would take for me to score? So I'm a similar size. I think you're slightly taller I mean, than me. I, with, with all due respect, I you think, have way I more think, skills than me, but I'd bully the. I would. I would physically bully you. I think what you'd if it score. was Reed you'd be, and Elliot I was versus Trace? Say, I was gonna say. I what if bully. it was Reed and Elliot versus Trace? Well, you two grown adults against one person. I would hope that it, you guys would find a way to you'd win. Hope, but you know, but you the know, one person is Trace. Know. What's the spread? What's the spread of Reed and Elliot versus Trace? Is it make it take it? Yeah. Um, in the game to 21. I think it's even. It's an even spread. I think there's a chance that. Okay, well, then you're saying that's what we'll do. Okay, that's what that'll be the video. I still need time to train. Right. I can't let my teammate down. Tom, fair enough. All right, Tom. Okay. All right. Wrap up All the right. show. That's going to do it. Uh, okay, we'll see what's going on tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, um, Kyle Kasky is going to be in studio. Really looking forward to that. So we'll actually have some, some film. Uh, to get you ready for the Bengals v. Colts, get his thoughts on what the keys to the game might be. We'll be joined by former Bearcat Terry Nelson. He calls the games now on radio. He was a guy that that right before the Xavier Pro- – and again, we're never going to see this stuff anymore. The good old days when they came up to Terry Nelson, who knew nothing about the Crosstown shootout, and they were playing Xavier, and he was asked the day before – How's this game going to go tomorrow night? He chuckled, looked at a bunch of media members and said, are you kidding me? We're going to blow these guys out by 30. They did. Hmm. T. Nelson! <laughs> Love it! Somebody take a stand for crying out loud. <laughs> Tired of vanilla. Tired of white noise. Take a stand! Will you be watching the NBA in-season tournament semi? No, tournament? I will not. <laughs> will you? I, I might, you I'm, might have some action. I might have some action <laughs> you won big money last night, though. I did. I won't. I won't specify how much I won, but I won a four-leg parlay plus a thousand uh, for a, and I and I put a sizable amount of money on it. Okay. Big win for Elliot. Big 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 night for Elliot. Okay, we're coming your way tomorrow. Reed, you're on it again. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tracer. Thanks, Tom. See you later, brother. Zebra, good luck tonight. Thank you, Tom. And uh, as always, Casey, we hope you're feeling better, buddy. Hope to get you back soon, but if you've got to take one more day and then get through the weekend, albeit, God bless you. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Any, any programming notes before we leave? Anything nope. else today? Nope, you nailed them all. Okay, all right. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.